Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff at Lofstofan are grateful that you are joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Following was recorded on Sunday, August 27, 2023. Today's message title Christianity 101, The Fear of the Lord, a study in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. Today we're going to be jumping into Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. And the subject of today is going to be the fear of the Lord. And here in a couple of weeks, we're going to announce a new book. Typically, if you come on a Sunday, we're working our way through a book in the Bible. We love to do that because it protects you guys from me just always wanting to talk about whatever I like to talk about, uh, what I like about the Bible. And it protects me from you guys. If you think, hey, you're talking about this particular sin too much or you're, you're, you're talking about money too much or something, I could just say, hey, I'm working my way through the Bible. I'm just dealing with the next verses. So I think it's fantastic for us to do that. We typically want to do that. Uh, but basically sprinkled out over the next few months and possibly years, I just want to do one-off sermons to deal with sort of particular areas of life. That's just basic Christianity. And, and the reason behind this is number one, we have a lot of new people with us and I don't really know where some of you are in, in the faith or if you are in the faith. Uh, if you're just here, just asking questions about Christianity, or if you've surrendered your life to Christ. Um, but if you're new to the faith, I want us to lay out the basics of the faith, what it looks like to live out the Christian life. And number two, our hope is also to compile this into sort of a playlist on our YouTube page or something along those lines. So that if someone comes to faith, we have this fantastic resource of just basic Christianity for them to go through. Oh, by the way, I totally forgot. We don't have kids ministry today, right? Um, if you're a parent in here with a young one, I'm a parent with young ones. I understand the chaos that follows that. We do have a screen out there where you can hear the sermon in the fellowship area. So uh, if, if you want to go there and hear the sermon there, you're welcome to. Um, yeah, so we're simply gonna call this Christianity one-on-one at, and, and then deal with certain topics as, uh, yeah, as it deals with basic Christianity. And I figured if we're gonna start with Christianity, we, we have to start at the right place. Right, we have to, number one, know the good news of Jesus. And I think we have to start with God. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that almost make Christianity sound sometimes like it's all about you. Basically what you can come to God to get. And what does that mean? It's in the end, it's all about you. <laughs> if you're using God to get to something else, you're not necessarily worshiping God, but rather the thing he could give you, right? And so our Bibles, when you open this book up, you'll see the first character that is introduced is who? No one knows? Have you, no, has anybody? In the beginning, yeah, God, okay, that's good. In the beginning, God, right? That's the first character that's introduced in this book. And it's mysterious because in the beginning, by definition, this is the very beginning of all things. And yet who is there before the beginning? God. And so it 
starts with God in Genesis 1.1. And if you go all the way to the end of your Bible, uh, not the maps, but the very last book of the Bible, uh, you'll see in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, what does is, what is the Bible end with? Come Lord Jesus. So from beginning to end, the whole theme of scripture is not you, it's not us, it's God and what he can do in and through ordinary people. But to start off today, I want us to jump into the book of Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10. Would you stand with me as we read this very short verse together? I feel like we're just doing a little squat exercises here, perhaps. <laughs> Anybody like the, the, the way we did it last week to read it together? Yeah, it's like only Johanna liked it. So Johanna has got veto power in this church. So let's read this together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Amen. You may be seated. Let's do these squat exercises. What happened to the, what happened to the lights? Oh, did you turn them off? Are you trying to put them to sleep, Christian? What are you, what are you, no, it's okay. Um, it's, yeah, it's probably better to have them on. All right, so let's start with the overall explanation to, as to what it means to, to fear the Lord and what the scriptures mean by that. Uh, remember, when you're giving yourself to the study of scriptures, as much as you possibly can, you want to stick with allowing the word of God to explain itself, to define itself, to give the explanation, not bring in your presupposed ideas about what something means, but rather allowing God in his word to explain what he means. Now, when that principle is taken, you should view God uh, on how you should view God in scripture. You could read a verse like this, Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you just read that, you could walk away, be like, okay, I need to be terrified of God. I need to be terrified about God. And yet the songs we sing doesn't sound very terrifying, <laughs> does it? Like no one is checking in their boots. So what does it mean? But then you start to explore the scriptures and you start to read in other places. You go to New Testament, Old Testament. You go to Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse five. What does it say? Love the Lord your God with all of your soul, might, strength, and, and heart, right? I'm, huh? Is anybody correcting me? I feel like some. Yeah. Okay. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Um, we are, we are told that we are in, in, in the, uh, 10 commandments. We're told, do not worship any other gods. Do not make false images of other gods. And this all of a sudden is starting to inform what Proverbs is telling us what it means to fear the Lord. So fear of the Lord requires us to, to love the Lord on one hand, and it requires us to stay faithful to the Lord on the other hand, as you read the 10 commandments. And we have examples in our modern day of sort of healthy fears. And then we have examples of bad fears in our modern day and age, right? We, we tend to call bad fears phobias. And just for fun, I started looking at phobias this week that sound fake, but aren't. Did you know there's a phobia for people who are terrified of people with beards? Did you know this? I think it's called genophobia or something like that. And then there's another phobia that are people that are terrified of chins, chins of people that beards cover up, right? 
So it just goes to show you can never please everybody, right? You can have a beard, terrify some people. You cannot have a beard, terrify the other people. Uh, anybody want to share a particular fear that they have with us? We're Christians. We're not gonna, we're not gonna use it against you. Uh, spiders. Okay. Spiders. I mean, they, they just look demonic. So I'm not sure that's an irrational fear. Uh, but yeah, is that, is that about it? Spiders. Clowns. Yeah. I mean, they look demonic too. So no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, we have modern day examples of healthy fears. And then we have modern day examples of bad fears. Like take the sun as an example. We have a healthy fear of the sun, which means that when a man landed on the moon, we didn't think next, you know, I think we should land an astronaut on the sun next, right? Much to the astronauts, just thankfulness. No one had that idea because we have a healthy fear of the sun, realizing that's not what we do to the sun. We have children with examples of bad and healthy fears of their parents. Some are unhealthy fears because they've been abused, they've been terrorized, and they fear their parents for all the wrong reasons. And on the other hand, you have children who fear their parents out of love for them because they don't want to let them down. They don't want to take for granted all the things that their parents have done to get them to this place. And so on. they have this, this respect for their parents. Now, when it comes to the fear of the Lord, we're talking about this holy type of fear that is fueled by by awe and respect and love for God. Like we, we often sing the song, Amazing Grace, right? Amazing grace, how sweet this. This is one line that's just, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder how people who are not Christians hear what we're singing. Like we were singing in one of the songs, he's coming back for a pure white blood washed bride. And I was just thinking, I wonder how a non-Christian would hear that lyric, <laughs> like blood-washed bride. I'm like, that sounds like a horror film if you don't understand what the scriptures is talking about, right? But there's a line in, in The Amazing Grace where it says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. Have you thought about that? It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. What is that all about? It's hinting at this fear of the Lord. So if, if your goal is to be a people who cling on to this holy fear of God, driven by awe and respect and love, how do we get there? And, and the thing about holy and healthy fear of God is that it grows in proportion to our understanding of the greatness and the holiness of God. At the same time, the, the opposite can be so true. The less we perceive the greatness and the holiness of God, the more we tend to take God and bring him down to our level and make him like us. And the more we take God down to our level, the less we tend to fear him because after all, he is just like me. And you may notice this with, with people who talk about Jesus a lot, right? This is very popular. Uh, if, if you've not been in Iceland very long, people kind of expect you to say that you're a Christian. Now, if you say that you're a Christian that, that actually like prays and reads the Bible, you're not a Christian, you're an extremist. Or sometimes Icelanders would say, oh, oh, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but not a Christian, 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 right? 
And I have no idea what they mean by that <laughs> sometimes. But what, what that means is I'm a, I'm, I'm a Christian in name, but it doesn't actually affect my life. I'm not wasting time in prayer. I don't believe in the resurrection or, or anything of, of that type of lunacy, right? And you have people talk about Jesus a lot, but they don't necessarily love the Jesus of the Bible. They, they, they take Jesus and they don't want to approach him as a person. They want to approach him as an idea. And the thing that's different from persons and ideas is ideas can be tweaked and changed and molded into other ideas. But a person cannot, <laughs> right? I have to take Ricardo as he is with all of his flaws. I can't change my ideas of who Ricardo is and that's magically going to change him. That's not what we do with people. And yet, so many people do that with Jesus. They treat him like an idea that can be tweaked and changed. But we don't do that with persons or people. And, and to think that someone would do that with a person, let alone God, means that we live in a society where there's a very low view of the holiness and greatness and the power of God, or perhaps a very high view of ourselves to think that we can pull God down to our level. After all, why would do God do things or not disagree or not agree with me on everything in this life? So, whoa. So this holy and healthy fear of God is actually similar to faith in many ways. Like, did you know this? If you, if you want to grow in faith, you don't go and do faith exercises. Did you know that? You, you don't go and do faith exercises like breathing exercises. You don't like flex your way to more faith. The way you grow in faith is that you get to know the object of your faith. You need to grow in the knowledge of the object of your faith. Contrary to popular belief, now how many of you have been asked this question? I, I just don't have enough faith to, to have blind faith. How, how many of you have ran into people that think that's the idea that Christianity has about what faith is, blind faith, right? Have you have been asked this questions? Like, just, am I the only one getting into these conversations? I feel like there's no head shaking, Sam. No, okay. Um, no, if, if you wanna grow in faith, the Bible says what faith is, is actually not, not sort of blind faith, but in Hebrews 11, one, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things that are not seen. Now, how can you be assured of something and convicted about something? It's not blind, but rather how you're assured about someone or something is that you know their reliability. That's how you grow in faith. That's how you grow in assurance and conviction. You know the object of your faith can actually carry the weight of your faith and expectations. And I dare you to try this this week. Does anybody have a friend in here that's just totally unreliable? Right? Like, just be honest. Like, and if you don't, you might be that friend. So uh, now let me ask again, does anybody have a friend that's totally unreliable? <laughs> okay, only Carlos. Uh, Carlos, come up here and give us a name. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, now, I dare you to do this. Try and do this this week. Go and try to muster up faith in that person. Right? Throw and try to grow in faith in that individual that you know to be unreliable all the time. Let me tell you, uh, let me just save you some time. You're not going to be able to do that. 
because faith is not something that you muster from within. It actually is dependent on the object of your faith and how reliable that person is. You cannot make faith come up from thin air. You have to have something to build it on. You can't because you cannot have assurance that he or this person will come through on their promises. Now, how do we grow in a healthy fear of God? By seeing him more clearly for who he is. By seeing him more clearly as we dive into his word. By seeing him more clearly as you go and pray. I mean, in in my experience, it's especially in times where you're going through suffering. When you're going through something, (laughs) and I I hate it when people tell me, you just need to talk to some people. Like, I don't know if that's a solution. I don't like that solution. I don't like talking to people about my, my feelings. But even if I tried, I can't explain the feelings I have. And yet in that moment, in that suffering, in that need, when you can't express how you're feeling, the only one who understands is God. The only one who can truly know everything that you're going through is God. So you grow in the fear of the Lord by diving into his words, seeing him come through again and again to do the impossible. You see him uh, to, to grow in the fear of the Lord as you spend time with him in prayer by seeing him more clearly as we take steps of faith, right? This is one of the ways that we grow in the fear of the Lord and in faith itself is when you're feeling God calling you to do something and you're not sure how it's gonna go, You're not sure what the end goal is or where you're going to end up if you take this first step of faith, but you take it anyway. And then God comes in and does the impossible. Man, you grow in the fear of the Lord. You grow in faith in doing that. Now, in the next sermon in the series, Christianity 101, we'll we'll talk about the Bible. But as, as you read and go through your Bible, you'll be confronted with a holy God that is not on your level at all. He's in a category unto himself. And, and for those of you who may be watching uh, uh, horror movies too much, right? I'm glad that you're here praying for your soul. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, for those of you who may, may have watched horror movies a lot, maybe about demons and angels and, and God or exorcisms and that type of stuff, it gives you this wrong idea that God is sort of this spiritual being that's like, man, I just really hopes that he can over take this demon thing, right? But when you're confronted with the scriptures, there's never a question about who is number one. Right? When Jesus walks by people who are possessed by demons, they're not picking a fight. They're just asking about scheduling. Like, hey, aren't you early? Are you going to destroy us now? I thought that was later on. Right? And they're terrified because they know God is in a category totally unto himself. Now, when you read the scriptures, you'll be confronted with a God who is limitless in his knowledge, who knows, who sees and hears everything that's done and said. And worse yet, he doesn't just hear what you say and do. He sees the heart motivation behind what you say and do. All right, this is gonna be better than a horror movie. Are you ready for this? This is a Bible passage, Hebrews 4.13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed in his eyes of whom, to whom we must give account. 
That's scary. You see, it's the worst part about us. This verse is reminding us, ultimately, we live for one audience. We live for an audience of one. In the end, you can live a life where you are praised by all the people around you, where you are revered and respected by the people around you. You can be tempted to live for their opinions of you, for their pats on the back. But when you stand before God, who has fire in his eyes, all the voices and opinions of all these people that you try to live for, for their praises, all of a sudden, they will go silent. And it's just you and God. All the praises you derived your value from will go silent. And it's just you and God. And you see, we live with many healthy fears. Here's another, we talked about the sun earlier. We don't send astronauts to the sun. There's a healthy fear that also teaches us that you should probably never have a a staring contest with the sun, right? Because the sun always wins. You go blind. Even though it's like three kilometers away. How many? No, I'm uh, It's millions of miles away, right? Imagine how scary that thing is. It's so powerful that it can be millions of kilometers away and still mess up your eyes if you take a staring contest with it. And yet somehow we have this idea and the sun is this powerful But when it comes to its creator, I think I will flippantly walk into glory saying, well, I'm a good person. We have this healthy reverence and awe and respect for the sun. And yet for its creator, we sometimes have none. You're bound to have fear of someone, something in this life. But the Bible tells us, and the first step on our journey for wisdom is to properly direct our fear at the right object. The more we fear God, the less we will fear anything or anyone else. And and if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, let's take the flip side of that. What does the opposite mean? Then the misplaced fear in other things or other people is the beginning of folly. When, when you lose sight of God, you lose sense of who you are in your own identity, trying to live up to the expectations that others may have of you, but not your creator. And we see this all around us. We see misplaced fears that produce love for the wrong things. Love for profit over people. Seeking after unrestrained human freedom rather than human flourishing that comes from surrendering ourselves to our creator and saying, God, I think you know better than I do where my joy is found. And we live in a society right now that's kind of like a rose. Like this this image has been stuck in my mind for like a few months now that I've been looking around sort of the West and I'm like, man, it just seems everything is chaotic. Anybody else feel that way? It's just, and I'm wondering, is there more chaos now than it was 10 years ago? Or is it social media? Because I just, I'm aware of all the mess going around the world. What's going on? I just have an image in my mind that it's like, man, our society right now feels like a rose in a vase in the kitchen window or vase. How how would some of you say that? Boss or something, right? A vase, (laughs) a vase. I'm going to say it correctly. Uh, Like a rose in a vase in a kitchen window, right? Have you ever seen a rose? It looks beautiful, right? 
And sure, it looks good for a moment. It may even blossom while it's there in the kitchen window. But one thing you know about that rose is as soon as you pluck that rose out of the soil, it's destined to wither away. It may look good for a moment. It's destined to wither away. As soon as it's plucked out of its natural environment. So today I'm like, man, I see so much chaos happening and I, maybe I should just fast social media, you know, just not be aware of all the stuff going on around the world. But today I feel like we as a society might be getting there. We're, we're, we as a society, we're trying to hold to Christian ideas and morality while removing Christ from them. And in doing so, we're kind of eroding the very basis for things that we take for granted. And we may look good for the moment, but we know we've been plucked out of that soil and we're destined to wither away unless something drastic changes. That's where I feel like we're at today. So thank you for coming today. Have a depressed week. No, I'm just kidding. You may not know this. Ideas like human rights, they come from a very Christian worldview. The idea is taken from Genesis. The idea that each and every individual around you is created as an image bearer of God and therefore has worth and value. Their worth and value is not in what they produce. Their worth and value is not in their health or their status. Their worth and value is found simply in this unshakable reality that God created in each and every one of you to bear his image. That's where the idea like human rights comes from. And yet when you want to take the fear of the Lord out of the picture and you want to remove him, but you want to keep the idea of human rights, human rights becomes this sort of, well, what are human rights? <laughs> this type of loosely defined, vague thing that we don't really know. I saw a post on the internet that said, internet is a human right. <laughs> no, that's not right. That can't, that can't be true. Internet is a human right. What is a human right? When we, when we take the fear of the Lord, and I, by the way, I don't want our sermon to be like, look at all these people out there that don't have the fear of the Lord. They need to repent. Like, no, no, no. The most serious thing is us. The most serious thing, the reason why stuff is happening all around us is because the church has let go of the fear of the Lord, right? But I'm just watching society. And I'm like, man, I'm afraid to where this is going because we've just been plucked out of the soil to which we were growing and had life in. And now we're trying to hold to things like the very foundation of objective truth and morality. Or you even look at sciences and the, how, how, uh, how the science, uh, different fields of science came to be. Almost look at how they started. It was almost always from a Christian worldview, Christian presuppositions that, man, the universe can be knowable because it was created by a knowable God who is, who is, um, man, who is, not predictable, but dependable, you know, like, and, and it's not just chaos. We can actually understand the creation around us. And it came from this Christian worldview. And yet we're trying to hold on to all these different things. And yet pushing God away, not realizing, man, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So quickly, we're becoming Romans chapter one, claiming to be wise, they became fools. When God is removed from the picture of the very foundation for ideas like justice and punishment of crimes removed as well. After all, are we simply a product of nature and nurture? And if so, man, did you have any 
choice in doing what you did? Like there are so many things on the table. I'm just looking at this rose in the kitchen window thinking it looks good for now. But man, where's this going? It's like we live in a day and age where we sort of walked into a field and we saw a random fan, fence, fence, what did I say that way? Fence going through the field. And in the name of progress, we decided to tear that fence down. After all, it was limiting us. And I think that we're finding out right now that, man, it turns out we can progress in the wrong direction. We can progress right off of a cliff. And perhaps that fence was put in place not to limit our joy, but to keep us from harm for our good and our flourishing. And the thing that we need to do is actually take God at his word. Don't be tempted to say to the people out here, why aren't you behaving like Christians? That shouldn't surprise you that non-Christians behave like non-Christians. And it shouldn't be your goal in life to seek for behavioral transformation in society. Our goal is to stand on the good news of Jesus and to seek heart transformation that leads to societal transformation. But we, we proclaim Christ and him crucified, the hope that we have in him. And I think that we're just finding ourselves at this place similar to where the early church was. Like you read the book of Acts, you realize that's not happening in like, cultural Christianity era, like this, this is happening where paganism is happening all around, all these sacrifices, temple, like shenanigans going on. Let me just say that because we don't have kids ministry today. Uh, like parents, or just all of us in here, because you all have an influence on someone in your life, but we have a major task ahead of us. If you're a parent to raise our kids with holy fear that springs out of love and awe and respect of God. And to remember that it's not just in theory. Like, yeah, and theoretically, we need to teach our kids the holiness of God, right? Sinfulness of men. And at the same time, the goodness of our Savior Jesus Christ and the forgiveness found at the Savior's cross. But it's not enough to simply teach them theories, as it said. So sometimes people can't hear what they say because your actions scream so loud. We must show them in action what life of the fear of the Lord looks like. If you don't have kids, you must show society around us what a life lived to the fear of the Lord looks like. What is it that we prioritize? What or who is it that gets our energy, our money, our attention? Is it screen time? Is hobbies? hobbies? Man, fucking weird today. Hobbies, is a sports. Like, here's one example. The Bible tells us to gather with other believers. Good job, you did it today. <laughs> and I understand that circumstances come up where you, that can't be done, right? Sickness and so on. But are there things that cause you to miss gatherings that are not good excuses? What are the things that cause us to misgather? So take, here's the word of God says, gather believers, don't neglect the gathering of believers, but what are the things that keep us from gathering and are they good enough? Like this terrifies me as a parent. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I could tell my kids, listen to what I say, don't look at what I do. <laughs> Just obey my commandments. But rather they watch, they learn from what I do. 
Like if I would cancel like going to a gathering of believers today for a football game, that would go in a mental note somewhere. Okay, football, more important than church. If I would go take the kids to a flute practice or sports practice or whatever kind of practice there is, flute, more important than church. Sports, more important than church. If I were to take our church and uh, to take the kids and we would skip gathering with a believer so that we can have a social gathering, social gatherings, more important than church. Go into the movies, go into the movies, entertainment, more important than church. Like that's what they're taking down all the time. Or are there causes that you never really, like causes that drive you to never really belong to a church that are just bad, bad reasons, right? So many times you have people who say, well, I can't really go to this church. Why? Well, because they don't have the kids ministry like I would want it, or I don't like the worship there. In case of today, I'm like, I'm sorry. Hope you have a good life. <laughs> we sometimes have Spotify when we don't have volunteers. <laughs> like, but there are people who say, man, so what are our kids hearing? Kids ministry, more important than gathering with the church. Music, more important than gathering with the church. It's scary how much our kids will pick up not only what we say, but also what we do. And that's the same for the society around us. And as I've said so many times, out of a hundred people, 99 will never read their Bibles, but they will read the Christian. They will see if there's anything about your life that points to Jesus being worthy of their attention. And are we pointing them to the joy of life, live to the fear of the Lord? When I wrote that sentence down, I just kind of find it's funny. The joy of life lived in the fear of the Lord. Does it sound very joyful, right? <laughs> joy of life lived in the fear of the Lord. And you may ask yourself, living the fear of the Lord doesn't really sound very joyful at all. But again, to remember that fear is, this is a fear out of love, not a fear, uh, sorry, fear driven by love, not love driven by fear. And here is what the fear of the Lord looks like when it's in place. So what, once you realize the power of God, just how holy he is and how you are not, can I hear an amen to that? Right? Anybody realize that you're not holy, distinct like God is? Once you realize that, once you realize the justice of God, the limitless knowledge of God, you may be tempted to be driven to terror if that's all that you have, right? An idea of an all-powerful God, if he's not, all, not also love, can be a terrifying idea. Like, yes, you have all the power, but are you good? But here's the freedom found in that. When you realize that all this all-powerful God came to save you, he used his power to save you. He stepped down from glory to meet you in the mud to be humiliated by pretentious military political people who thought they had power over the son of God? He did that for you. To be with you, to make you his own, to change. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the very thing you try to hide from everybody else, the very thing that you're ashamed of doing or thinking or saying. He knows the very worst parts about you and yet no one loves you like he loves you. When you fear 
God, the fear of man is stripped away. Your identity and value is found in this unshakable source that is God himself, who is the, yes, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And someone once said, I don't know who said this, but it's like one of those quotes that's got like a billion people attributed to it. But someone said, if you want a life that's freed of opposition, it's simple. Say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. You want a peaceful life? No problem. Say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. As soon as you say something, do something, be or are something, (laughs) people are not going to like it. The sad reality is that many people are born and they die without ever having lived because they were controlled by fear of other people. A misplaced fear that promised freedom, but in the end offered chains. And when you walk in the fear of the Lord, you have joy because you are freed from the fear of everything and everyone else. When you walk in the fear of the Lord, you are surrendering. uh, When you walk in the fear of the Lord, you are surrendering to your creator who knows what he created you for and where true source of joy and hope and purpose can be found. So when you walk in the fear of the Lord, you can strive for simply being faithful to what he's called you to. Your identity is not necessarily based in the outcome of what you do, but just being faithful to the one who called you to that task. There's freedom in that. When you walk in the fear of the Lord and yet remember his self-sacrificial love for you, where the king of glory comes down to lay his life down for you, there's freedom in that. And what that looks like is that you fight for what truly matters to make and put in effort into what truly matters, to spend time in his word being equipped for your calling. Please don't waste your life. Like you are called to something by God. His word promises us that it can teach us and equip us to do everything good. To be reminded of his love, his power, as you remember what he's done, how he's come in, how he's used broken people. When you are in awe and reverence of his justice, you also see his grace and you can walk in loving and holy fear of the Lord without being afraid of him. Because the same God that knows all about you invites you to approach him. Here's a strange Bible verse, Hebrews 4. It says, For we do not have a high priest, he's talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So man, have you ever just felt so tempted that it's overwhelming? And how many of us have given into that temptation because it just felt like it was overwhelming, right? But imagine this, Christ was tempted in every respect and yet never gave in. He took out the full weight of temptation every single time and yet never sinned. And then in verse 16, it says, let let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Have you ever thought about how strange this is? Let us then with confidence draw near to the holy God of the universe that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. 
when no one understands the suffering you're going through, he knows the very deepest part of you. When you walk in this fear, when you are confronted by this great news that you make time to share with others the love of Jesus, seeking opportunities in your daily life to show his love through service, through generosity, but also to speak of Jesus. You're freed to stand on truth, strengthened to stand against horrors. So many have done, uh, so many uh, faithful brothers and sisters have stood up through the ages against horrors of humankind because they had their fear in the right place, right? You think about history and you think about brothers and sisters who died in the arenas under the Roman emperors. You think about faithful brothers and sisters in the middle of Nazi Germany who died rather than compromise truth because they feared God more than political power. Man, when your fear is placed in the Lord, you can, you can face human powers. You can, you can come face to face with demonic powers and yet you can know the one ruler of them all. There's ultimate power in the name and authority of Jesus Christ above anybody else. And on the other hand, when the fear of the Lord is not in place, the results can be catastrophic. Not only in an eternal sense, where you stand before God one day on judgment day and he will give you exactly what you wanted. If you walked, lived your life without the fear of the Lord, you rejected him and your actions and your words, he will give you exactly what you wanted for all of eternity. And if it's not the fear of the Lord, we call that hell. Perhaps only then will many realize that all of the joys that they loved about life, all the meaning they found in life was God-given. And once he hands them over to eternity separated from him, then it'll be too late. And people will be given over to the hell they chose. But even if we simply focus on this natural life, when the fear of the Lord is taken out of life, this is not just like a good philosophical idea. The results can be catastrophic without the fear of the Lord. People who have no idea about one day being found out standing before the judgment of God will do horrible things if they think they are not seen and there are no consequences to their actions. You may formulate an idea of God in your mind. You may create a God in your image, a false God that oddly enough seems to agree with you on everything seems to never disagree with what's good or bad or anything else. He just agrees with what you do. And so many people live their life. They may use the name of Jesus for that, but Jesus looks a lot like them. Right? But that false God offers no comfort when circumstances bigger than you come your way or loneliness comes your way or death comes your way because he's not worthy of your reverence or awe or fear. God is in a salad bar where you get to choose what you like and what you don't like. Your worth and value will never be settled because you don't have a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
You will seek your worth and value in all the wrong people in all the wrong places. You will be vulnerable to false teachers that say stuff that you like to hear instead of being grounded in the word of God. And you'll find yourself being swayed to and fro, hoping that the next feeling might be right when God offers you a rock of ages that doesn't move. What happens when the fear of the Lord leaves to get cowardly pastors, cowardly churches, and in the end, a cowardly message that we proclaim to the world. And the results can be catastrophic. Like I said, did like, you think about this, the churches in Nazi Germany. Do you know there are pictures of churches in Nazi Germany back in the day that would modify their message to fit the Nazi party, would gladly hang up Nazi flags in their churches and fly them outside their churches as well and conform to the political sway of that day. And they thought themselves to be progressive. After all, times are changing, we must change with them. And yet in the middle of that, we had faithful brothers and sisters like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said, no, I will not bow down to whatever the Nazi party tells me is true today because I fear the Lord. And that conquers any political threat that is made against me. He ended up dying, um, dying in the concentration camp, but he refused to give in to be conformed to what the party wanted him to proclaim. And, or, uh, Alex, Alex, do we have any Russian speakers in the room? Can someone, I know I've quoted this guy before. How do you say that name? Alexander, yeah, that, I know that one, but what is that? Souls? Solzhenitsyn? Okay. Alexander Socialism. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Socio Nietzsche. Um, <laughs> but he was asked about the Soviet Union after 60 million people had been killed in the Second World War. He was asked, what happened? And he said, to summarize what had happened, I would say this. Man have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. And when the fear of the Lord was removed, the value of human life was removed. The ideas of human rights were removed. Whose audience we lived for was removed and it was just a party or some random political guy telling, sending millions to their deaths. And, and this is the start of a journey towards wisdom, the fear of the Lord. And the journey starts with one step. But wisdom is more than simply knowledge about God. Wisdom is not just knowledge, it's God's wisdom applied to our lives for God's glory. Because knowledge doesn't necessarily make you wise. Did you know that? <laughs> Especially today, like we have all the knowledge in the world in this device, right? But we lack wisdom. So here's the difference between knowledge and wisdom sometimes, right? You can know that cigarettes kill you and you can still die from them, right? That's knowledge. Wisdom is when knowledge is applied, God's knowledge is applied to our lives, to God's glory. And here is knowledge for you. You're a sinner. You're a sinner and God is holy. God is righteous. God is just, God is a judge. And God is someone who cannot betray his justice or righteousness after all. Can you imagine being in a courtroom where someone you loved was murdered? 
And the judge would say, and the evidence was all clear, pointing to one suspect. It was clear he did it. And the judge would come up and say, you know what? Yes, it's clear that he did it, but I'm going to forgive that person. You might call that judge a merciful man, but not a just man, not a righteous man, not a good judge. And here's the problem we face. Here's the knowledge we have. God is a just judge. And every single one of us have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. So God, in order to forgive you without betraying his justice, takes the penalty of our sins upon himself. He takes the debt that we owed and paid it himself. He offers you forgiveness, he hope, and eternal life if you simply trust that he alone can save you and walk in the fear of the Lord. But so far, this is only knowledge. You can know all these things, but it says fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom would let you know, not only that you know you're a sinner and God is just, and there's only forgiveness in Christ. Wisdom would say, run to the cross. Wisdom is what Hebrews says, come boldly to the throne room of grace. We live in a time of the day where we're drowning in information, but we're starved for wisdom. And for us as Christians, I wanna ask ourselves this week, who or what do I fear? Perhaps a good question, if you're wondering, man, is there anything I fear more than God? Ask yourself this question. If God were to call you, obviously, to let go of something in your life, what is that one thing that you would actually hesitate or struggle with letting go if God calls you to do that? And then ask yourself, why? <laughs> my bank account, is stuff I own, is it my job, you know, why? And if you're not a Christian, I wanna simply ask you this. If you were promised a price of 100 million kronars, and if you're watching this online in the future and inflation means that 100 million kronars is nothing anymore, you know, think of a large amount. If you were offered a price of 100 million kronars to understand a 2000 page book, what would you do to get that price? I mean, that's, a, that's like a debt-free home, right? Well, I guess not anymore. Uh, home prices are crazy. What would you do for 100 million kroner? Would you, would you learn and understand a 2,000 page book for 100 million kroner? And yet here we have God. He gives us a promise, not only of momentary flourishing, but human flourishing eternally. So many of us struggle. You go into the week thinking, oh, chapter is a lot. <laughs> he gives us this word with divine insight from our creator, what he created us for, and yet chapter feels like a lot. Remember his promise, his reward is way bigger than a hundred million groaners. And as someone said, I think this is a Spanish proverb, tomorrow is the, the busiest day on the calendar year. Always tomorrow. If you're in here and you've not yet given your life to Christ, let it be today, for you're not promised tomorrow. And running to Christ as Savior and Lord with the holy fear is the very first step to wisdom. But let us end right there. If you're in here and you've not yet taken this step and you want to do it today, I would love to talk with you and pray with you. But if you have, if you've surrendered to the, to, to the God, I've been, been speaking with the Ukrainians a lot. <laughs> 
I, I noticed that Ukrainians tend to say the God all the time. Yes, I worship the God. I worship the Jesus. <laughs> um, if you're in here and you worship God, you trust in God as your savior and you want to walk out into this week with the fear of the Lord living for his glory and not the opinions of the people around you and celebrate with us communion. But if you're not taking these steps, if you're not a Christian, then we're glad that you're here, but please set this one up. It would, it would not be you being polite. It would be rather making a mockery of the cross, which is the very thing that gives us hope. So during this song that we're about to sing, when you're ready, come and let's take the elements and let's remember Christ. Let me pray. Father, we, we praise you and we thank you for everything that you've done for us, for your grace and for your mercy. We pray that you go with us into this week. Help us walk in the fear of the Lord. Help us make much of you. Help us glorify you with our lives. May our worship not end even though the service is coming to a close, but rather may we worship you continually by being a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. Father, make yourself glorious in and through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kyrka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Music